This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this podcast episode, we are going to talk about funding and grants, how to write proposals, tips to succeed in your grant applications, and mistakes to avoid. We have a great expert for today's episode, as she has landed over four million pounds for her ongoing projects. Our guest is working as a professor of behavioral medicine at Loughborough University. Her work is focused on investigating the effects of lifestyle interventions on health outcomes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Amanda Daly. Welcome, Amanda, and thank you for taking the time for this podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the uh, invitation today. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you have received two two considerable National Institute for Health research grants. Could you could you give a quick overview of those projects? Sure. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to uh, to be awarded two uh, large grants over five to six years. So uh, the first one is called uh, Snacktivity. And Snacktivity is about um, encouraging the public to uh, take small snacks of physical activity throughout the whole day. Because um, obviously, you know, most of the population aren't doing enough physical activity, both in terms of aerobic and strength-based physical activity. So Snacktivity is what's called a program grant. So we're developing the intervention, then we will test the intervention, and then we will do some um, dissemination activities um, towards the end. So. When you have a program grant, uh, it gives you more time and more uh, more resources to really uh, think about what you're doing over a longer period of time, rather than having to rush everything in a couple of years or three years. So that's so that's so that's really nice. Um, and then the second um, award is really more of a personal award um, from the National Institute for Health Research. Uh, and that's focused on um, developing lots of different programs of work um, around innovative lifestyle interventions. So I kind of get to choose how we spend that money on research um, and to think a little bit out of the box, uh, a little bit more cutting edge in terms of research. So it's kind of like a pot of money, if you like, that um, we can spend on different things that we would like to do. Mm, yeah, that's that's actually interesting that you you kind of got the funding for a broad idea, and then you can do different projects within or hire hire people, sure. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and what do you think was the key factors that you you were successful with those those grant proposals? Um, I think in. In both grants, I think they were successful because, you know, as you know, obviously I'm part of a team, so I don't do this on my own, but having really good ideas, really thought through ideas that, um, that kind of resonated, if you like, with the, with the grant panel, um, 
who awarded the, the, these awards. So, you know, there's no substitute for really good, good ideas and spending lots of time thinking through the idea. So if I think about the first um, program, the Snacktivity program, um, that took me probably around two years, just over two years from the point of starting to think about it to the point where we actually submitted the grant. So I really took my time. I really, you know, gave it a lot of thought to give it the best chance um, of success. And I think the other key thing is I think we can, in science, uh, we can develop and we can gain so much more by working with others. So in all of the work that I do in terms of the grants, I always try and assemble the best possible team. So I'll find who is the world leader in X, Y, and Z, and I will ask them to come and join um, the research team or the grant application. Um, and, you know, developing connections with others is a really good way of improving the quality of your science and learning, but also then obviously it convinces the grant panels that this team of people are going to, you know, really uh deliver on world-class excellent research mm. so you said that it took two years from the idea to yeah. to submit and how do you probably you had more than one idea how do you judge your ideas and how did this snacktivity was the one that you chose to go go forward with um yeah so kind of in that time i did spend some time talking to others and saying, you know, I've got A, B, C and D ideas, you know, what do you think? And trying to really, um, not so much mentors, but I would have conversations with um, kind of, you know, leaders, people who I respected and their opinions and try and bounce ideas and try and uh, mould the idea uh, and try and get their opinion about what they thought was the best one to to lead with and be guided by by them as well um because again a lot of this stuff you know you shouldn't just be doing it on your own we should be bouncing ideas off people who uh whose opinions we 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 trust um so just going back to the snacktivity idea um at the very very start of that for example i used to call stuart biddle up uh late at night obviously he's in australia and i'm in the uk And so I, we had a few early conversations because Stuart's involved in some activity. So it's midnight for me and it's during the day for him. But I wanted his opinion and I respected his views. So that if that meant that I had to stay up all night to speak to him, then that's what I did. And clearly it paid off. So it's going mm -hmm. the extra mile as well. And listening to um, other people who you respect and trust, who you think have got good opinions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's about good team, good expert, bouncing the idea. Do you have some certain process for the planning and writing, other than discussing with others, or is it kind of that it it just goes some way, and in the end you have a good application, or is is there a process? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, a process. Uh, my process is slow. Um, slow but excellent and um, I I would expect to probably write 20 to 25 drafts of a grant application before it's submitted 
And when I say that to people, they sort of say, wow, how do you find time to have so many iterations of, of the grant? But I think that's what it takes because things have to develop, things have to improve. You have to have time to think about the feedback that you're getting from your collaborators or people who are experts that you think haven't have an opinion. So yeah, that, that's my process. That's my starting point, 2025 drafts. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's a lot of lot of drafts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are the points that change most during this process? Is there some parts of the of the draft that changes the most? Uh, I would say, top of my head, I would say it's my interpretation or others' interpretation of the literature or the evidence. Um, so you read a paper and you take something from it in one particular way. And then other people don't quite see it the same way as you, but you've expressed it in one way and you want to express the evidence as it's presented to you. So I think it's much more nuanced. It's the small changes to make sure that you don't um, take evidence out of context or you haven't misinterpreted it or you go back to papers and really understand the data in those papers when you're making your case. So that's probably the thing that slows me down um, and not being biased when you're reading papers to try and p- be more persuasive than the evidence actually is. So so you said that the process is kind of slow. When do you judge that you don't have enough time or resources to make an application? How do you decide when do you go through the process and when not? I guess that's a bit of a judgment call. It, I mean... Um, it's usually when I've run out of energy and I haven't slept for so many nights that I think it's time to give up on this. It's usually the deadline, right? The deadline's in two weeks and it is what it is. But at least if the deadline is in two weeks and I've been, then it's probably going to be pretty good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and and then if you think about your grant proposals that were not successful, do you see any difference? Can you notice any any difference there? between the successful and non-successful grant proposals? That's a brilliant question. And uh, I've never had a grant proposal that's not been funded. Um, And that's not to say that what I'm doing is better or worse than anybody else's, but I've not had experience really of rejection. So I have had a couple of grants that have been rejected, but then funded by somebody else. Um, So I actually can't answer that question, which is. which is kind of nice, but uh, I know for other people that's not the case. And, you know, rejection is hard. And, you know, you can spend a year, two years or whatever developing a grant and to get it rejected is really disheartening. And sometimes, you know, there's nothing wrong with the grant. It's just that the priorities of the funding board were one way and yours didn't quite fit into it or another project scored a little bit higher than yours. So I think it's important not to take things personally, although I know it can be hard not to. But always, I always have a second uh, funding scheme lined up. So even in those two years that I'm developing the grant, let's say I'm going to submit it to um, the National Institute for Health Research, but I always know where I'm going to submit that grant if they reject it. So because I know that it's not always about what I've said and the science, it's just that that committee or there wasn't enough money or whatever is the reason. It wasn't, it's not always about the science. 
there are lots of other reasons why grants are rejected. No, that that's very impressive that you have hundred percent success rate. <laughs> I haven't heard it before. Uh, do you think there's any why why is that? I I've heard that you put a lot of efforts, a lot of drafts. You get the best experts yeah. of in the team. That probably makes a big difference. And when I look the titles of your research, I think it's. I think one thing is probably that they are very applied and it's yeah. very easy to see the public health benefits, the cost savings and so on. How how yeah. how big thing you see that this kind of practicality yeah. is there? Sure. So, I mean, I sit on grant boards as well. So I kind of know a little bit about the minds of the people that assess grants. But in terms of my grants specifically, I always think... Uh, that I need to get inside the minds of the people that are sitting on those grant panels. Because remember, those people on those panels are people, first and foremost. So I'm thinking I need to get them to really appreciate and understand what it is that I'm trying to achieve in doing this research. I've got to kind of get to their hearts and their minds. Um, and one of the kind of uh, themes, if you like, of the work that we do um, at the centre that I lead at Loughborough, the Centre for Lifestyle Medicine and Behaviour, is we do what we call down the pub science. And by that, I mean, if you go down the pub and you told people what we did, uh, they would get it. So hmm. you've got to make it really simple and you've got to get inside people's hearts and they've got to understand what it is that you're trying to, trying to achieve. Things that are really complicated uh are unlikely to get funded because people don't understand what you're doing you've got to take people with you when you're writing your case almost like you were down the pub explaining to the people in the pub what it is that you're trying to achieve because if they can understand it then the grant panel committee can come with you on that journey too this podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform it is a great tool for projects that aim for behaviour change in sedentary behaviour and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. Yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant point, really important point. Do you have any other tips you would like to share with people applying grants? I think sense checking, uh, I guess I've touched on it a little bit, but sense checking what you're trying to do and making sure that people understand it. Um, and you might even consider giving your early drafts to people that are not involved in science and seeing whether they understand what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I mentioned just there about, you know, I sit on, on grant panels and you will be amazed at the number of grant applications that I have to read that have very poor grammar, poor comprehension and poor spelling. And that just makes my life so much harder to read those grants. So you've got to show the people that are reviewing 
your work, that you're an excellent scientist, you have really high standards. Uh, if you submit work that's not high quality, then that doesn't give me much confidence in you as a scientist. So, you know, it goes back to the 20 draft things, making sure every single word is um, legible, is properly and well presented. Um, and the other, while I'm here, since you ask, the other bugbear of mine is uh, mm. people who cram in as much information and text onto the page as they possibly can. Uh, that's that's just not going to work. Uh, you've got to mm. present it in a way. Remember, you've got to take me on the journey. You've got to get inside my heart and mind and cram in, you know, hundreds of words on a page. Doesn't it makes me grumpy so because it's really hard to read so you've got to get you know you've got to get those people on side um what would be my other the other thing i guess i would say is right with passion and persuasion uh again the number of grants that i read i just don't feel the passion in the person that's writing the grant and you've got to make me believe that this is the best thing that this study has to be done it's so important to health um and that's not always about the science. It's also about demonstrating a passion for the question that you want the money for. So I think that's really important. Um, and pilot data. I'm always more persuaded by pilot data that this isn't just pie in the sky, that you've actually invested, you developed yourself uh, a framework and a platform for uh, pushing this research on and you've got pilot data that supports it. And if the pilot data takes you a year to collect, then so be it. Just delay your grant application. Get you know, get it in a good place, and then you're in a much stronger position to to get to get the money. Great, great points. And how do you do with the pilot data? Like, do you even you don't have funding to do the pilot? So are you just able to do it? And you take the time to collect the pilot data just for the application. So it depends. So sometimes I might submit a grant for pilot or feasibility data. Um, and other times it might just be through uh, MSc students or maybe a PhD student that collects pilot data for uh, for developing a, a bigger grant. But lots of our work would be based on funded pilot grant work before we uh, go off and try and get uh, larger larger uh, funds of money. Yeah, yeah. And and when you said about the passion. How do you how do you write the passion in a scientific proposal? How how, how do you do it? I don't know. Uh, is it? I don't know. I don't know how you do it. But um, I guess it's in building the case, isn't it? It's about how you express the case, how important it is that whatever you're doing is going to save lives or if you can get you know an extra five percent of the population to do more physical activity it would lead to x y and z outcomes um and that's maybe one thing that people could do so they could give the grant application to their friends and colleagues and say does this you know does this read to you as somebody who's passionate about what they do uh and if not, it can maybe help you to write it in a in a kind of passionate passionate way. It's quite hard to comment because it's kind of when you read it, you feel it. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's an interesting point. And and basically, then I wanted to ask about what are the biggest mistakes to avoid. And you already said that bad writing typos. Yeah. And if people cannot understand, maybe the mistakes could be also in the in the kind of process that, for example, if you don't have enough time 
don't go do it next year or, or some yeah. kind of what what would you say as the biggest mistakes i think yeah uh, i think you know cramming too much information or, or maybe um not presenting things in a legible way would be would be a big one um but i also think poorly thought through costings is often uh something that's picked up on and also presenting applications that um <clears throat> are overly ambitious so you know you look at the costings and you look at the number of studies that the applicants are trying to do and the two just don't match up um so if if there isn't enough money in the grant to do the work that you want to do then don't try and do it you might have to split it or you might have to you know do part of it before you ask for the for the rest of the money but the two have to marry to marry up um mm. and i think One of the other things is that we often see studies that are too similar to work that's done before that are not sufficiently novel to really add and advance the science. They can often be just a little add-on or a little development on work that's already happened. So, you know, be bold, you know, really push the edges and really try and submit grants that are going to really be forward-thinking rather than just develop things a little bit more um because that makes grants feel like they're getting more added value for money over and above just a little step and and you said that common problem is overly ambitious but then yeah. i think i think when you write a grant proposal you kind of want to also offer bang for the buck value for the money how do you balance between between these two Yeah. So one of the strategies that I'm going to kind of give away all my all my tips now and then I'll never get a grant funded ever again because everybody else will get them. But um so I might for example put in a grant and I might go to the dean of my school and say, "Well, I if I get this grant, will you give me x y and z because then I'm demonstrating additional added value to the grant and the grant panel can see this additional value and commitment from the university to um invest in the study too so that might differentiate you from another application that doesn't have that that might score the same as you and and then the grant the panel might think well i'm going to go with amanda's because i'm going to get we're going to get more research from that relative to somebody else's where we're just going to get um kind of the basic thing that they've asked for um So the other things that I've done uh sometimes I've said things like if you fund this grant uh I will do some extra training for health professionals or I will do some extra workshops or I would do um some education stuff for NHS staff again I'm offering something that's going to be uh a lot of my time if you like but it's not really going to cost them more money but the impact of those extra things could be quite far reaching so again you're offering added value without actually putting the actual cost of the grant um up as well. Mm, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I haven't thought that before. And then how do you see between like your studies at least on the surface seem to be quite applied, very practical. How do you see the balance between between applied science and kind of basic basic research? How do you how do you see it in your applications um so i mean yeah my kind of focus is very applied but again i sort of talked about that 
two-year period of grant applications where I will go and talk to basic sciences about the mechanisms of action or the application of the things that I'm trying to do. And often they'll be part of the, the grant uh, of the grant sort of submission so that I've always got these people talking to me in the back of my mind about the basic science and the mechanisms of actions and so on so that I'm not just focused on the applied bit I've got these people to keep me in check to um, you know make me think and remember about the mechanisms of action that uh, lead into those applications that I'm trying to achieve does that make sense yeah that, that does make sense yeah, and soon our time is up, but I wanted to also ask, like you have had many PhDs and postdocs, what tips you could share for them when applying grants? Probably all the things that I've just talked about, really. But So a good idea and uh, uh, connecting and reaching out to others, wherever they may be in the world, find the expert or find the experts in the question that you're trying to, to do and ask if they'll be willing to work with you on this grant um, to try and improve the quality of your science and, and, and develop the idea. And, you know, often people will say no, but sometimes they will say say yes. Uh, I think um, I'm sat here talking, I'm thinking, am I going to get um, inundated with loads of people asking me to um, be part of their grants or read their grant applications? But, um, yeah connection we can achieve so much more together than apart and so reach out ask if they say no that's fine move on to the next one but um i would hope that you would get lucky yeah so if if you get this kind of email how do you <laughs> how do you judge them like what are the points like should people tell that how much they expect time or what should they pay attention what value you get how does it link to your projects or what, yeah. what, what tips you would give to for example write the email for somebody to ask for a collaboration um so i talked about you know hearts and minds um and you know the mind in terms of the science so a nice crafted email again don't rush it don't send it right away think about how you're going to ask and approach um the person that you want to reach out to but I think you know laying your cards uh, out there and saying I'm an early career researcher I would really like your help I appreciate uh, the work that you've done uh, I'd really like to work with you you know I'll do all the legwork and the donkey work but would you prepare to um, have a conversation with me for half an hour and then I might say to them at the end of that half an hour would you be prepared to be part of this research team so don't ask for too much too quick just just take your time and try to engage them in the the, the journey of what you're trying to do with this research um, I think sometimes when you get an email from people and saying I'm doing the study and I need you to do this and this, this and this and this. And you're like, oh, I, I, I've never met this person and I haven't got time to do my own research, never mind trying to help somebody else. But, you know, maybe say, hey, could we have a quick half an hour call? It's quite hard to say no to that, isn't it? Um, and then you start to have a conversation, you build a relationship, and then the person thinks, oh, this person is quite clever or they've got a really good idea. And, yeah, you know, I would be like to be part of that. And, yeah, I think I could offer or contribute something to this idea and then I you know and then you start to engage them and then you get much more from people that way than sending them an email and saying you know asking them to do 10 things uh yeah it's just not going to happen 
Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Isn't it called some kind of commitment bias that you ask for something small and then when yeah. they say yes, yeah. they are committed to it? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how, how do you see, like you said, that you look for the passion in the grant proposals? How important is the passion with the person who's who's asking this and how important is the kind of factual things? Yeah, so I, I think crucial. I think I would rather work with somebody who is really passionate but might not be quite there with their science and understanding because you can work with that and you can you can develop it. But if you're working with someone that has no passion but great science, that's actually really tedious for me personally anyway. So someone who's really invigorated and but isn't quite there, I think you know I can add to that, I can help because the passion will take you a long way. Um, so, yeah, I think that would probably be the way I uh, I, I answer I answer that. And um, I um I, I really like carrot cake as well. So when people promise me carrot cake, uh, it usually can be quite persuasive. Yeah, I like carrot cake also. <laughs> so I, I think this is a good point to finish this with the carrot cake. I, I think this was brilliant, brilliant points. I I really believe that our listeners will get lot from this and be able to write better grant proposals and are willing now to do the work of 25 drafts or how many was it? <laughs> 25 drafts and yeah about that. W- world world will be better place with the good, good grant, <laughs> grant proposals and good projects so thank you amanda a lot for taking the time for this yeah no worries thanks for having me and i've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.